This is a True Foundations podcast. Real time, real life, real answers. I don't know what you think about the book of Revelation. It's a long time since I did a series on it. Um, You might think it's really complicated and difficult, but this bit isn't. It's quite straightforward. And it is the letters to the seven churches. And uh, John, of course, he was an apostle, but I think he was the greatest prophet in the New Testament. If you read what the Spirit revealed to him, you see that it was absolutely remarkable. And he received the visions. This is not a vision, but he received the visions straight from the Spirit of God himself. And uh, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And there's seven churches mentioned. There's seven real churches in history. They all had their own thing going on. And uh, God had, had some tough things to say to them, but encouraging things as well. And I think the best way to approach this at this time is to... The tendency is, you look at a church, we're going to look at the church of Ephesus today, but you look at a church and then you think, is our church like Ephesus? Well, it's never as straightforward as that, is it? Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, a long, long time ago, it was a different culture, a different time. That's not what I want us to do. I, I don't want us to say, well, Cornerstone is this. The messages are to the church as a whole. And then in that, we have to recognize that groups of Christians in their local gatherings, they have a corporate identity, but they also include individual people. And churches as a whole need to hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches to see if they can identify some things here. Uh, It's about an evaluation Uh, Where are we at? That kind of thing. But individuals need to listen because as it works through, we see that God has to say specific things to individuals. So we make our own personal assessment. And that's what I want us to do, each and every one of us. Let's make our own personal assessment in the light of what God has to say and respond to it. And that's really what it's about. So we assess now, uh, and the question is, well, how am I doing? This is God speaking. You know, this is not even the uh, the opinion of John the Great, or what a great apostle he was. It's not his opinion, it's God speaking. It's how does God see us? How does God see me? How do I need to respond? So we assess now, but we're not finished there. We look to the future because this shows us how to finish well. Because God wants us all to finish well. Uh, And if we don't, we suffer loss. Paul had things to say about that. So that's the kind of setting that we're in here. And I'm going to read this section to the, and it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So that's verse 1 of chapter 2. Now there, the word angel uh, is... It's it's messenger, same word. Um, so don't think of this as some angelic being because really it's, it's the messenger to the church. 
God does not need to write letters to angels. He, he has them dictated down through his prophet uh, to the people. And the messenger is, is the key guy in the congregation that gives leadership and direction from God. So he has responsibility for the church and he has to hear it first and then he has to tell it on uh, so that the people of the churches can hear and respond. <clears throat> so to the angel, the messenger of the church in Ephesus, write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands says, so the seven stars, stars speak of spiritual authority. Uh, the seven stars, it means the whole church. Uh, and the seven stars, and we are part of that, it's about letting your light shine in a dark place. That's what the church is about in its function in this fallen world. Shining the light of the truth of Jesus, of salvation, God's purposes in the dark place of this world. And he walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. This is the risen, ascended Christ who knows his people and he walks amongst them. And he has the ability, if he so chooses, to be with them or to extinguish the lampstand. That's how it goes. He has an opinion on our gatherings. He has an opinion on our identity of coming together as his people. It is not a given uh, that he makes his presence known, the Spirit of God amongst the gathered people. It is not an absolute given that he will be there amongst the people. He has the right to remove the lampstand. So that's the backdrop. And then this is what he says. I know your works. This is God. He knows. Whatever we think, whatever we do, uh, whatever our background is, whatever our input is into the life of, of the church of Jesus Christ, whatever we think about it, he knows. Now that should cause us to sit up and think, shouldn't it? He knows. I know your works, I know your labor, and your endurance. You see, God, when he speaks, he speaks accurately. And he's looking for good things. There's no question about that. He's looking for good things. He doesn't always find them, but he's looking for good things. And that you cannot tolerate evil. That's a good start, isn't it? He sees. He sees the commitment and he sees the stance against evil things. Now, there's a specific for these people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And you found them out to be liars. Now, clearly, in the day, in that region, in this, uh, this, uh, this large church of Ephesus, this church having been founded well uh, in a city of absolute 
vile pagan corruption. They've stood a test here. They've done well. And into that, some people came. But if you read Acts, you see how uh, Paul, much earlier on than this, of course. So you've got to watch out. Watch out for wolves. Don't let them in. Watch out. Well, clearly they did. Uh, because some of these guys were coming in and they were, they were proclaiming, they were posturing themselves as if they were apostles and they weren't. And it's not because they weren't with Jesus in the beginning. That's not the issue here. Uh, it clearly shows that there were many apostles in the, in the early church. Uh, but these were coming in for different reasons. No messing around here. The Spirit of God, when he has something to say, he says it. He does not mess around. These people are liars. But you found them out. So that's good news, isn't it? It's always good. When there are those who are false come in and they try and influence, whatever the influence was doesn't even matter here, is the fact that they were false. They were going to take the people and lead them in the wrong direction. But they were found out. They were exposed. You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. In other words, the place where they were was not an easy place to be a faithful Christian person. When you think about Ephesus, and a fair bit is known about Ephesus, it was one of the chief pagan cities in, the, in a massive region. Uh, and a worship of, of Artemis, of, of the Ephesians, known as also Sophia as well. A goddess that was worshipped by people. And in her attributes was a challenge to the true and only God. Uh, and even the banking system was controlled by the pagan temple. And, and so that's difficult to live with. Do you think your own banking system's corrupt? And it probably is. This was... How can you? How can you buy and sell? Because that's the way it was. You buy a piece of land. You sell it. Some property somewhere. You buy it. You sell it. It all had to be rubber stamped by what was called the Artemisian. How did a Christian survive in that? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know how they negotiated all of that. But somehow uh, it, it says that God recognizes you. He says, I can see what you've done. I can see how difficult it was for you uh, to be my people without compromise and having integrity. It's a tough call. Uh, he's pleased with that. You've not even grown weary. In other words, they, they're not ready to... to Give up, are they? In spite of, they're ready to push forward. But, now there's a but here. That's not the case in all the churches, but it was the case in most of them. I have this against you. Those are not words that we want to hear from the Lord. He's talking to the church as a whole, and yet there are exceptions. So he talks to the whole, but he talks to the individual. And I think that's really, really important, because actually that's a, that's a principle of justice, isn't it? Because you can be caught up in a situation that maybe it's outside of your control, and it's, it's corrupt, and it's difficult to deal with. 
you're pushed into things and you find yourself almost compromised by them. And yet, do you fall or do you stand? God sees that. He sees the individual. He sees the individual difficulty. And he sees the individual choosing. I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Now, from God's point of view, that's a serious matter. Is it a serious matter for us individually? You know, in some relationships and some marriages, there's this love thing right at the beginning, and it's all consuming. And, and then, like, this is not my testimony, it's not our testimony, because it's not true of us at all. Actually, for us, it actually gets better. And I think it's the way it should be, isn't it? So, often what happens is, people settle. They get comfortable in the relationship, and it's fine to be comfortable in the relationship, but somehow it puts a ceiling on it, and there is a tendency, because life is busy, and maybe you're doing good things for each other and all that kind of stuff. And there you are carrying on. Oh, yeah, look what we're doing. It's a good marriage. and It's the church. It's good. We're doing all these things. There's, the good things are commended. You see, that's where God is just, isn't it? He's a good God. The good things are commended. He, he doesn't throw them all away. He says, you've done well with that somehow something changes because the emphasis ceases to be about that closeness, excitement of the relationship. The emphasis changes because there is a move into performance, maybe achievement, maybe doing all this good stuff. And, and maybe... The pride of life comes in that gains wrong satisfaction in the fact, well, look at us. Oh, wow. Look how well we've labored. Oh, wow. We've got endurance. We're really smart, you know. Uh, we've tested these false ones. And, and we're smart enough for... Uh, we must be very discerning because we've checked them out and, and they're, li they're liars. And so the emphasis, instead of it being on that relationship that was established at the outset, the emphasis now changes into the doing and the attitude of, wow, look how well we have done. And they've forgotten what it's really all about. Now, of course, we should continue to do those things that are right and proper, but they should be subservient to the very nature of the relationship that started in the beginning. Now, the relationship of salvation is about sins forgiven, 
putting the past behind and living in the power of God's Spirit, the new life, the resurrection life. And it seems as if these people have deceived themselves because they've become self-important. That's the problem. They, well, we're doing all this. And they've forgotten that really, there's a question, why are we doing all this? Is it achievement for achievement's sake? No, because that's works religion. Not at all. It should continue as an outflowing of the relationship in the beginning that not only continues, but actually it grows. And God, God is so clear about this. Remember how far you have fallen. This is God's view of the matter. You've fallen. That's not good. That's how God sees it. You've fallen. Even though you're doing all this, I'm glad you're doing it. I commend you for doing it. But the reality is, you've fallen. There's only one answer, and it's repent. That's always God's answer to the situation. When for some reason we have fallen short, because uh, that's one of the definitions of sin, isn't it? If for some reason we have fallen short, whatever the reason is, the answer, the way forward is repent and then do the works, the works you did at first, then do them. So there is a clear call here. There is an identification God has seen. He sees the corporate body. He sees where they are at, but he sees the individual. Because repentance has to be individual. Now the call that God is putting out is to the whole church. And so the whole church needs to repent if they're fallen. But repentance... It's individual. It's taking responsibility. I get it. I'm sorry, Lord. Why did I ever let this drift? Why did I ever get caught up in maybe the self-importance or just uh, the habit? I don't know. Because everybody's different, aren't they? Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The Spirit of God speaks to the church. There are individuals in the church and in the end he deals with them differently from the whole. But this is the clear voice of God's Spirit that needs to be heard by every church, everywhere, every time in history. Otherwise, I'm going to come to you and remove the lampstand. In other words... The corporate expression ceases to be the authentic church. God is not there. That's serious stuff. This is how serious God views this kind of response and attitude. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans which I also hate. Nobody really knows what they were, but it was, it was some false theology uh, and, and probably some sexual immorality involved here. 
when God comes in this way, and I think for, for all of us, we need our times, our seasons, maybe our moment. We need evaluation to check things out along the way. Where do I stand? How are things going? That's proper, isn't it? And that's what God is offering. And, and we must take the opportunity uh, to be honest and listen because this is what it says. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, having an ear to hear is the open door to repenting if you need to repent or saying, by the grace of God, you have, you have saved me from this trap. It could be either, couldn't it? But many people don't have an ear. It's closed. They will not listen. They have chosen not to listen. Well, if they have, it's probably too late for them. Unless there is another opportunity which is in God's hands anyway. So anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says in the churches. We need to hear the voice of God in our gathering. We need to hear the voice of God in our own heart. Because it's the only way forward. This is the goodness and the kindness of God because he's not finished yet. This is what he says. I think this is wonderful. You see, the, the way that God deals with things, and this is the pattern in the Old Testament with the prophets, it, Paul used this method. Peter used this method. John in his other writings used this method. Is that God addresses the fault. Sometimes it's worse than a fault. It's rebellion sometimes. The sin. It, this is the method. It's the biblical method. You've got to know what's wrong first before you can take hold of what is right. And this is what God is doing here with this church at Ephesus. This is why I see. And the evaluation is accurate because if there's good stuff, God says, yeah, of course, this is good. I'm pleased with that. But, and so we're listening for this but, what about this? Is that me? And we have to be honest, so you have to have an ear to hear. Jesus used to say things like that all the time, didn't he? Now this is what God offers. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I'll give you the right. See, in, in the letter to the seven churches, it's very interesting. God reveals, he addresses, and he shows a way forward. And for those who they've repented, or maybe they've not fallen, they've been consistent in their war because they have not fallen from this original position of the true love of relationship with him. They have the right. It doesn't tell you about the others. Well, obviously, they don't have the right. And, and, and clearly Paul teaches, especially in the Corinthian letter, is that there's going to be people who, they're going to suffer loss. 
And so our emphasis really must be on what God desires for us, what he has for us, and our correct response. Because if we will hear and respond correctly, the blessing far outshadows everything else. That's what God wants for us, doesn't he? I'll give the victory. You see, the the real definition of the faithful Christian is overcomer, victor. That's the real definition. It's no use Christians pretending that they're living a life of overcoming if they're not. That's just, that's foolishness. But that is God's desire for us. And he will give us everything that we need in order that we might accomplish that. It's his desire. And if it's his desire, it must be possible. And he is the one who comes and enables it in us. The tree of life. That was the real problem, wasn't it, in the beginning? This is foundational, really. That was the problem. They lost. tree of life's gone for them. They lost it. But he, he offers that we might taste and taste and taste of the eternal fruit. It's a metaphor of something which is beyond what we can truly imagine in this life. Uh, Because we we know theologically that we are to live forever. And sometimes by the grace of God, perhaps we are faced with something that, well, we don't take it for granted because actually we know it's something that God has really done for us. Maybe you face death and in the facing, you are more convinced of eternal life than ever. That's wonderful, isn't it? It's about not just living forever, but the quality of it. That's for the overcomers. And where is it? Well, it's not down here, is it? We can taste of its fruit. We can be convinced of its reality. And we can begin to live in that way, the resurrection power, but we're still in this limited, decaying frame that happens to be ours for now. And the Spirit wants to say, he said, this is what I have for you. It doesn't come from down here. You won't get it from down here. There is nothing that you can do down here now uh, that will give you the right to obtain this. This is my gift to you. Because, why? Because you have maintained your first love. It still burns within you. It's still vibrant. That defines you more than all these other things. Where does it come from? Well, it's the paradise of God. The garden of God. The place where he dwells. We have a glimpse of it in Genesis. In that place called Eden. It was, a, it was a garden when there was decay all around. It was where God was. But this is much bigger because it doesn't come from a finite place. It comes from God's eternity and his infinite goodness. 
And so when God comes and he speaks to the churches, it's really serious stuff. And sometimes it's difficult, but it's because he loves his people and he wants the absolute best for them. And that's who we are. He wants his best for you and for me. But we have to listen. And if we need to, we should be on our knees repenting so that we can put away every hindrance, then grasp hold of what God says is a right. Rights is a big deal today, isn't it? You know, what a massive deal, a right for this and a right for that. And most of it is nothing to do with rights at all. But God has something to say about rights. He says, if you listen to me, if you have put away anything that is dragging you down, anything that is against me and my purposes and my relationship with you, if you'll do that, I'm going to give you a right. You don't earn it, he gives it. And this is what it is. It's eternal relationship with God in the best place ever, bigger and better than what we can ever imagine. Uh, And that's why God has had these messages to the seven churches recorded in history so that every believer can come and evaluate, have an ear to to hear, and find the place of total acceptance in Christ. And he gives us the right to a relationship which is the best and unbroken. Amen. Thank you for joining us. True Foundations is headed by David J. Jones, a preacher and teacher of the Word of God. His passion is to help individual Christians discover their true identity in Christ and to learn how grace operates in their lives. Currently residing in Canada, he is taught in both North America and the UK and has listeners all over the world. If you have questions about anything you've heard today, please email us at info at truefoundations.ca. Or for more information on True Foundations resources, please visit our website at truefoundations.ca.